How's it going? Welcome back again. Thank you guys for tuning in to Bonsai Southeast again. Uh, this will be our fourth episode of the podcast. If you're new, welcome, welcome. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. This was a lot of fun to sit down with a good friend of mine. He's from the Florida, Fort Myer, Florida area. His name is Mike Lane. Some of you guys might know who he is. If y'all don't, please look into him. Follow him on his Instagram. Look him up on Facebook. He's an amazing shoheen size bonsai artist. He also does some kifu. We learned about some size specifications and bonsai on this episode, so make sure I get that correct. But yeah, he's a, he's an exceptional artist. Uh, he's just recently started to come into the spotlight. Um, and he's been working with the Weigerts for quite some time now, but the recent publication of articles of him talking about uh, various species for bonsai, especially shoheen size, in Bonsai Focus magazine has really put him on the map. So this was a nice little intro to Mike, if you guys don't know who he is. Um, I would recommend subscribing to Bonsai Focus and trying to get your hands on some of the back issues for Mike. Uh, he's a very knowledgeable guy. He always has, it seems like he always has the the best things to say about particular subjects when it comes to bonsai. He's a very spot on, a very educated view into the bonsai world, especially the artistic view. Um, he He's a artist that knows how to make the right moves at the right time. And he developed some really nice tight branch structures, some really lovely little trees. So this was, uh, this was nice to have him on and hopefully we can have him more and more in the future and he travels uh has started traveling recently so he might even pop in and do some live footage on styling some trees or something maybe in the future we can only uh cross our fingers and hope um but other than that i think we can go ahead and mention the sponsor of this this podcast um it's the bonsai nursery that i actually manage and also uh, or i am the resident bonsai artist here uh, in case you guys didn't know, I, I should have mentioned, um, my name is Evan Pardue. Um, I have been managing the nursery here for about two years or so, and uh, Underhill Bonsai is Louisiana's premier bonsai nursery. We are the only nursery in Louisiana currently that I know of that is a full business, grow nursery. We carry all of our own products, and... As far as stuff that you would need for bonsai, we, can, we got you covered. We've got tools, wire, fertilizer, soil that we make ourselves. We've got other miscellaneous accessories that you can need for repotting or for styling or just anything like that that, uh, that you could ever need. And if there's anything in the shop as far as the supplies, um, please give me a call. You can find the, the um, nursery's phone number on our website. You can also email me at evan at underhillboneside.com and this specifies to anyone that's living in the southeast range that's going to you know drive in give us a visit because uh, we're looking to supply southeast louisiana and anyone that wants to, that's willing to travel over to us uh with anything that they just might need so well we're also looking for species specific um recommendations we are currently in the process of getting a greenhouse structure together and we're going to have a shade house and greenhouse uh, combination. It's going to be really awesome. Um, since I started working here, it's something that I've been really kind of daydreaming about because uh, my favorite bonsai nurseries that I've ever visited have always had a greenhouse. And when you walk in the greenhouse, there's all of these you know, plants that you would not normally see, like the exotic plants or the or the, the plants that are capable of growing all year round. And that's kind of stuff that uh, we kind of dive into in this episode with Mike is we're gonna be able to get some of the species that we talk about with him. or We're gonna get some of those species over here to um, Underhill and we'll start developing in our, in our greenhouse and we'll have stuff like buttonwood is one of my, one of my species that I'm really wanting to get. Uh, Primna mycophilia, uh, or mycophilia, um, I butchered. Uh, nomenclature all the time but uh and also just a couple of other things like the sea hibiscus and ficus varieties and stuff that's really popular and also uh portulacaria like the dwarf jades if we our greenhouse will just be a just a growing 
field for those basically. We put them right in the ground in the greenhouse and get those things nice and beefy. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the years to come. We can grow some really quality stuff. Um, and then the shade house air side of it will be the area that we could use for post collecting for Yamadori so that they don't have to be heat stressed or be subjected to really hot or really cold. We can kind of regulate that a little easier. And also for sowing seeds and taking air, air layers or cuttings off of mother plants or cuttings off of whatever we need to to generate more uh, quality stock that we can work on and develop into pre-bonsai pieces uh, for, the, for everyone out there. So I'm excited to announce that for the nursery. A um, couple other announcements for us. I will be, or this episode will be post going out to uh, the Shreveport show. Uh, there's a Shreveport uh, Bonsai Club, Bonsai Society, more like, and I will be giving them a visit. And I think I will be sitting down to talk with uh, the club president, just kind of talk with him a little bit on, on a future episode. And that should be pretty cool. That's a part of the Louisiana bonsai that I'm not familiar with, but they should have a lot of the same natives and work with the same trees that we have and just get a different perspective on it. Um, so I'll be looking forward to doing a little bit of traveling myself in the future here um, and hopefully get some more outreach into the Southeast range. And so with, uh, without further ado, I would like to give you guys uh, Mike Lane here. It's a, it was a wonderful conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Bonsai Southeast Podcast. Pretty much this episode of Bonsai Southeast, we've got Mike Lane. He's over in Florida. He's your good old Florida man. See him in the news. He's been in Boneside Focus recently. He's got a couple. How many publications have you got? Uh, are you on uh, two? Three. Three. Okay, yeah. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about that a little bit, um, see how that, you know, how that even came about, what it's like to be published, uh, give us some insight on that. Um, and then we just want to talk about Florida Boneside a little bit so uh, that our listeners can, you know, be tuned into our, our Boneside Southeast uh, gang because you, you're part of the crew, man. Unfortunately, you just live about 11 hours away, you know? <laughs> it's just because so. of the way my state is shaped. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little long in one second. Exactly. Um, so. No, so yeah, I, I was very honored to be pu- uh, public- publicated this year. Um, some of my work was published, and the way that came about was um, I actually reached out to Ferran Bach from Bonsai Focus and, uh, and had told him that I was interested in writing some articles and had asked them if they would be interested in receiving them and, uh, and if, you know, what template to look for, uh, the format that they wanted them in. And he said that, you know, he was a kind of, a, I guess, aware of some of my work through Weigertz and would be more than happy to take some articles. And uh, so I wrote one. And um, since then, I'd say every issue, he's been contacting me to write another on a different topic. So um, so far, we've done about three of them, and I'm about to start working on a Bougainvillea article. Wow. So, so what all so. what all have you covered? I know you did a Primna one. That was your first one. Can you hold the mic up to your mouth a little bit, too? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I did uh, – it was Primna first, and then I did Buttonwood, and then the one that should be coming out any day now will be Sea Hibiscus. So um, – and then, like I said, the next one's going to be Bougainvillea. But I'm trying to just work through the stuff that I feel most confident in, you know, before delving into things that, you know, I'm experimenting with. So Yeah. Sounds like your strong suits, really, man. Because I know the, the sea hibiscus was something that we talked long-winded about the last time you were over here. The Primna, that's pretty much a given. I've seen you do some pretty killer Primna pieces. Uh, you got a couple of pieces. You put a Primna in Nationals, right? No, that was a Nia. That was actually a oh, Nia. Oh, it was a Nia. Okay. Yep. And then, oh, uh, and an Escambron. So. Okay. And uh, those are not showing pieces. They were like a they, little they, bit they, they were Kifu. So, like, Kifu would be, it's on the next size up. It's in the Chuhin category, but it's on the smaller side of Chuhin. So, it's like the next size out of Shohin would be mm. Kifu. 
Uh, and yeah, I, I guess for the sake of this this whole recording too, uh, this is going to be semi educational and you know kind of loose in nature as sure. far as the podcast go. Uh, you can give us like a run through because you do judging on showing uh, competitions every once in a while, right? Yeah. Uh, and do you know the names and the the size requirements for each one of those? Um, I mean, roughly, I don't, I, I usually, uh, so I know that it's mame is basically zero to four inches okay. and then f- four to 10 or really four to eight is Shohin, And then, uh, I, I get lost in the Chuhin. I don't pay attention to the exact measurements, but I know Kifu is on the smaller side of Chuhin, And then you go into, you know, Imperial size trees and, you know, bigger and bigger trees. Um, but no, I mostly just focus on Mame, Shohin, and uh, Kifu. Awesome. I mean, that's that's really like the you go from that Shohin up to that the Kifu size, which is probably arguably like the best size to kind of show in. Or yep. is that? Well, yeah. I'd say those are the most popular trees. So Kifu Chuhin trees, uh, from what I've gathered, I haven't been to Japan or anything, but from what I've heard and from talking with numerous professionals is Chuhin trees seem to be the most popular. Those are the most desirable size. Uh, and I would probably suspect that that's to do with, you know, their ease of uh, transporting. You know, you don't quite have the horticultural issues of a small, small tree, but you also don't have the logistic issues of a large, large tree. So you get kind of the, the impact without all the issues. Okay. Uh, so I guess like referring back to the, being published in uh, Bonsai Focus, have you noticed it's done anything for you recently? You've gotten any more phone calls or yeah, how's, how's yeah, work yeah. looking for you? Yeah, it's um, it's actually been pretty overwhelming. It's been awesome, um, very awesome. But uh, my strong suit's definitely in, in Bonsai and in kind of the teaching aspect. And so it's been hard to keep up with the, uh, you, you know, the business side of it. But we're working on that. Um, but it's been very, very busy. So I've had a lot of business since then and, uh, just a lot of people interested in kind of uh, booking me for work. So it has helped tremendously. That's, that's really cool. I mean, I can only hope that I get published one day in Boneside Focus. I mean that, I don't know, you said like it was a long time coming, but, uh, somebody had, who was the, was the name of the guy that reached out to you again? Oh, Ferran Block. He's the editor. Um, mm. yeah, so okay. he's the editor of the magazine. And, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it was something that, that seeing my teacher have his article years ago, um, and being an avid reader, you know, bonsai focus was something that I remember making the decision, uh, years ago, I, I told people, I was like, you know, I think one of the ways that I become a better professional is I need to start getting contemporary literature. And this was probably like 2012, 2013. And uh, so I really started pursuing. I made sure I got a subscription to BCI, made sure I got a subscription to Bonsai Focus. And uh, what that did was really shows you contemporary bonsai practices. So it it really takes a lot of the mystery out of it, out of the questions, because you kind of see what direction bonsai is going every couple months. You get to see what artists are doing in Italy, you know, all around the world. So that was very, Mm. very helpful in me, you know, turning the corner and becoming more serious as a professional. Yeah, I would so. say that's just like any, I mean, I kind of compare it to like any kind of field though, is like being published is like, that That pretty much puts your name out there. Like, you, you know, the only next step you could do, man, is like you need to write yourself a book or something. You yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I have actually, um, what I've found is, is you know, I'm always trying to find, Bonsai is a, a huge collective of different works. So, some work is weeding, some of it's weed eating, some of it's customer service. And, you know, it's not all of it that I enjoy. It's not all of it that really speaks to me. And what I found writing the articles is that I really like that work. I re- it's quiet. It's uh, it's peaceful. I can really kind of go really chew on the bits of information I'm putting out there and really think concisely, you know. So it's just work that I really, really enjoy doing. Um, mm. even if I, I do wait until I'm really under pressure with a deadline, but, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that comes with the nature of doing bonsai, man. I mean, like today I was trying to get this all, this whole thing organized with this podcast, dude. And I was, I called you in the middle of a lesson, which was, it's kind of a no, no. I was like, man, yeah, I, yeah, I had a little I bit of a feel bad, but I know I told you the wrong time. I was like, man, this is, <laughs> it's getting thick. So it's all uh, good. I've, I've, I've had to do it too, man. And it's, it's not easy. You know, I've had people 
show up. I've double booked people and had people show up at the same time and had to split appointments. So it's it's part of it, of being a professional in anything. You know, you're not going to be on your A game every day. Yeah. So, um, and I mean, like our springtime is kind of picked up and kind of is tapered off a little bit. And I think you guys are really in it right now. Um, I mean, what's it like over there? Like well, as far as Florida. So Florida bonds, it's weird. We work with a lot of tropicals. And so where most people are heralding kind of the start of spring, there's not a huge kickoff for tropicals. It's not like everything blooms and and you kind of feel the energy coming back into the plants. It's a slow kind of gearing up. So my plants are still kind of, I'll say they'll probably look really good um, mid-May is when they'll be primo again. But right now we're still kind of building to that stage. They're recovering from uh, winter leaf damage and still kind of growing a little sluggish, but definitely starting to see things move and wake up. And um, our favorite months are going to be end of April now and then going into May and June. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Mark deals more with the tropicals and stuff. You saw he's got the bogeys in his yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's comparable to you, huh, Mark? As far as the temperate zone, we were talking. Yeah, they uh, this year they coming back really slow. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, I had a, I had a little damage during the winter. Things that I left outside, and I'm not good at keeping trees alive indoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, like I don't know if it's the heater messing with it or whatever, but uh, they always look bad when I keep them inside. So uh, yes. I tried to keep them outside most of them, moving them in and out, in and out. But uh, I'm just starting to get flowers on my bougainvillea. Yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, a lot of my trees are kind of lingering behind, too. My, uh, my water jasmine usually blooms in April, and it's, it's got all the buds, but it looks like it's going to bloom actually in May. So it's just uh, it's been a little weirder of a month, a little slower start than it has in uh, past years. So. Yeah, I'm wondering if, uh, because that winter storm that came through here, and it, it's been the topic of... Yeah. I, I feel like the past couple of episodes I've done with uh, with Mark and, and Nate, which uh, you didn't get to meet Nate, I don't believe. But uh, but yeah, we were just talking about this winter storm has just been just the weirdest thing because it pushed everything back. We got some plants burned off new buds. And was uh, that the one that that hit Houston? That like a yeah. couple. Yeah, that, I saw the damage from that. That was uh, I was out in Houston like a, a week after that. And uh, it was crazy. Just everything was brown. Every boxwood in the in the ground looked like it was gonna die. So um, yeah, it looks looks rough, man. It was a tough winter. Yeah, um, we got down to 14 degrees here, which is really uh, unheard of. And Mark, what we were at, you were at uh, the high 20s, like 28, I think. Yeah, so not too bad. So you probably didn't even really feel anything too bad, huh, Mike? No, we were actually, I mean, we did get cold. Yeah, can you hear me? (laughs) Yeah, I can hear you. Can you you. guys hear me okay? I can Uh, hear you now. Yeah, uh, we did get down pretty cold. Nothing crazy. I think this year we only had a couple of of nights in the freeze zone, you know, in the 30s. Um, But it was just a a winter where we had a lot of, like, 40-degree days. A lot Hmm. of, like, maybe it wasn't, like, terminally cold, so it wasn't killing plants, but... It was just enough cold weather that just really made – it was a tough winter. It's a tough winter on some plants, you know. Uh, the Premna had, had a real hard time uh, with the branching with them, keeping the fine branching. It's always tricky in winter, but this winter it seemed even harder with them being so refined, you know. Mm-hmm. So the more refined they get, the thinner those twigs get, the more susceptible they are to kind of die back. Yeah, and I mean there's this, there's this point that I was talking to – I was actually talking to Nate earlier about winter care with bald cypresses and how it was like the that fi- those fine fibrous roots on the exterior of that root ball are the most important part of that twigginess. And I know right. I don't know for tropicals for you guys, um, y'all need more warmth on y'all's finer roots for those that twiggy ramification basically we, all year round to sustain that kind of stuff, right? We do, and it's, you know, the, the horticulture changes all the time. Uh, there will be days, like, when you really think about what the plants go through, every time you underwater a plant, you're going to have minor root death, and then the roots will recover, you know, they'll kind of take up the spots where the old roots were, and then maybe you overwater for a while, and you get more dead roots. And so after a year or so, the tree really goes back and forth a lot, and it's just hard to 
especially if it's been a while before repot, it's hard to find equilibrium. And winter mm. makes it even harder because you, you would assume that in winter a plant is using half the moisture or, you know, 25% of the moisture. But in reality, a lot of these plants are maybe using 5% of the moisture they were using before. So it's very, very hard uh, winter care with kind of trying to get the water perfect and having your trees get through winter unscathed is, is difficult. Yeah, uh, that I'm sure that presents that extra challenge for you guys. And for us, where we actually experience a full-on winter, freezes and even snow. I don't know if you guys get snow too often. <laughs> I'm not, no. I've, only, I've never even <laughs> seen it. I've seen it one time. Uh, then that was Florida. No, I had I was up in New Hampshire. I actually oh, had outside to, of to, to drive to okay. go see. It. Yeah, we don't see that I stuff mean, here. Not a touch. I mean, I I sound a little. I definitely sound a little ignorant too, because I mean, I haven't spent more than a week or a couple of weeks in Florida at a time. And you know, it's probably been either for Disney World or come run yeah. down to you guys. So I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, that this is what we're talking for to see. I mean, like. Is it comparable to my range? Your range is like completely different to me. It is. I would would say we're, so Florida is kind of unique in that it is, if I'm correct, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that Miami is the only area with true tropical climate in the continental United States. Um, And so we're just above that. We're literally at the lowest part of the subtropical range. So we're hot, man. I mean, we are like, it's hard to grow deciduous trees well um it's hard to kind of grow any temperate trees well i have to grow any temperate tree in the shade so it's uh why i've really focused more on tropicals is they just lend themselves to this environment i don't have nearly as many issues i don't have to baby them as much and uh you know in a busy life when you're you've got a lot to do and you're running around what happens is as you become more busy as a professional you have less time to baby and pamper plants so you mm. kind of need something that's going to tolerate your lifestyle. A little bit more resilient. Yeah. Uh, yep. And that's why I've kind of I've kind of switched more, and I can kind of feel that now because working at the nursery, running the nursery's operations, and now we're, God, man, yeah, like you said, with all the teaching and the arranging of the classes and the workshops, and I've had to kind of like dwindle down my collection slightly. Yeah. And come into, like. Chinese elms and winged elms and cedar elms are like my best friend right now. Because yeah. they're they're dirtily little trees. I mean, they take a lot of abuse. They're right. you know the winged elms and the cedar elms can be a little drought tolerant. So like that's what I'm kind of thinking of. Uh, but I I still have the few trees like oh also like uh, Japanese boxwoods are great for that too. Right. Um, right. I, so for you, I mean, what what species we're talking a little bit hardier? I'm guessing like. Buttonwood is a hardier one? Buttonwood are pretty hardy. Um, They're not without issue. No tree is 100% without issue, but I'd say out of the trees that I have, I have less issues with buttonwoods, less issues with sea hibiscus. Um, You know, uh, Premna's usually pretty good. You know, you just got to get them through the winter. Winter's tough for them. But uh, ficus, ficus microcarpa, those are tanks. I mean, those things, ficus don't even stop growing through the winter. They're growing the whole year. So they're, uh, they're tanks. So things like that really lend themselves. And an interesting little thought that, you know, this was an epiphany I had uh, a few years after really getting serious professionally is that the guys who are growing the best bonsai, not not even the best talented guys, but the best bonsai growers are going to be the guys with private backyards, small backyard operations where they can really spend the time on the finer details of refinement on leaf pruning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you even go over and you you talk to guys who are working in some of the top nurseries in Japan, they don't have time to refine the trees to the level that private collectors do. You know, it's, uh, you do the best you can and you try your best, but you still have to find techniques that are going to work with your need to make money, your need to be away from the trees, things like that, you know? So I like, I like how you kind of bring that up with the the bonsai grower practitioner slash professional kind of nature of like, you know, dealing with trees and collections. But, uh, but then like the individual grower, like you said, the, the most refined, like that, that's what, that's the question I get at the nursery a lot. They're like, they're like, so I water the hell out of it and I fertilize the hell out of it and you keep it in full sun. I'm like, Oh no, these plants are going through this because this is what I got. 
And this is I need right. them I need them to grow so that I can get a certain right. tree out of this stock and so that you can buy it. But once it goes into individuals' care, they they're the ones who's going to pamper it and bring it to that 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 refined right. stage you're looking for. So, well, and you, you know, and it's all within like kind of how things. I mean, can you make a nursery of all refined trees? Absolutely. But for a long time, and this is just my interpretation of it, but for a long time, I feel that the market in the U.S. couldn't sustain a true refinement nursery. Like, I don't think you're going to be able to sell enough refined shohin or enough refined trees regularly in the U.S. to be able to make a living. You see what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? So I think now in the last 10 years, that's changed. But I think why you kind of see bonsai nurseries the way they're run right now is that what sells isn't the $2,000, $3,000 tree. It's the $25 tree. And you'll sell 2,000 of those, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's uh, unfortunately until the market changes and the demand changes, there won't be time for nurseries to really do the refinement work because it's not worth their time. Yeah. And you see I mean, what I'm saying? It's kind of a dark place to go with it, but I mean, it's a really honest way to look at it. Um, so, and, and that's kind of why I've leaned more into the educational side of it. Uh, I will do I will do the house calls and the and you know people complete bring their trees in. You know, we'll do we'll do some refinement work and bring their their precious trees into fruition. But yeah, that is the kind of the hard justice of the American market. So, it but it's it changing. Is. I mean, I, I will say, like I said, in the last ten years, it's changing. With as people learn more, I mean, bonsai. Right now, we're in the golden age because there are no more mysterious techniques. There's no more, you know. Do you have to go to Japan to learn everything bonsai has to offer? You don't have to go to Japan now. It will greatly service you, and it will definitely make you a strong, strong professional. But the techniques are out there. You know, my um, I've learned tons uh, from just talking with other professionals. Uh, my buddy Seth, who's training in Japan, guys mm. in the Philippines. So Facebook and just the internet has really demystified a lot of this, and all that information is available to anyone who wants it if they're willing to do the legwork. So long story short, I think the refinement has come a long way in the last 10 years, and I think the market is changing. And so I think you will see people like you and me being able to spend more time on larger scale uh, productions with more refined trees. You know, I think we'll be able to get more uh, refined trees out to people. So it's just how things got to grow and change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I spent uh, like six or seven hours wiring one of my junipers yep and you can't do that you know at a nursery you're losing money exactly exactly you never right. know if it's gonna sell or whatever right. but uh I, I wanted to ask both of y'all do y'all get like you know you work on trees every day so when it's time to work on your personal collection do you actually take the time to do it or you burnt out <laughs> um well evan you want to go first <laughs> uh, i'll go first I, I have this conversation with everyone ever every customer that comes in every once in a while they'll kind of be like how long you been doing this for? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, blah, 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 X amount of years. And and as Mike under, probably understand, in bonsai years, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, you could be doing it for 10 years. It's just how much you've applied to it. And I'm like, you know, I love working on these trees. They teach me a lot more than, you know, than reading a book about it or, you know, even the conversation is just getting out there and getting my hands dirty with these trees. And do I find the time to go home and appreciate my own trees? I mean, I think... Yes. I mean, I've honestly this spring have gone home every day and put my hands on my trees because it makes it I don't know, it makes it feel a lot more special because like we were saying, from the nursery setting to the the backyard refined setting. I mean I have I make sure to keep my, my personal collection small now. Now I'm yep. not pushing it. I'm not pushing like uh you know, a hundred trees or anything in my backyard. I don't know how many Mike has, but uh his trees are <laughs> smaller. Uh, yeah. But you see my my little collection of trees and that and the, sure. there's reasons why they're special to me or I've worked on them for a long time and yes I do I do find the time it is harder it uh it is harder to get home and do the things I would love to do like right now I need to make up some organic fertilizer and and really start fleshing out my fertilizing program on them but dude I'm sitting yeah. here right now I mean but I mean this is part of it I mean I'd rather do this you know but you know my trees are they can wait. It's bonsai. Yeah, they can wait. The time will do some of the work. Yeah. Um, 
No, I mean, I, I also. Oh, sorry, Evan. Were you finished? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm man. good. I'm good, man. I could reminisce about my personal collection all day long, man. You know that. <laughs> uh, those no. trees mean a lot. So, I mean, it's the ones that mean that mean a lot that make you want to come home and work on them too. You it's know? true. And uh, but I'll say I I I don't know I, I don't know if burned out's the right term. I mean, there are days when I definitely do too much bonsai, and I don't want to even <laughs> see my bonsai, and I'm like, no. Um, but for the most part, honestly. To this day, still the most joy I get out of even being a professional is my trees, you know, seeing yep. my trees. And it's still my happy place. I still get excited every single day. Even if I'm not working on trees, I go and I look every single day to see what changes have taken place. How's this thickening? How's this growing? You know, and I make a plan in my head. That's half the fun for me is not even executing it, but thinking, all right, what's my next move going to be? What am I waiting on? And when am I going to act on this? And just playing that little mental game every oh. night is uh, is really where I get a lot of joy out of it. So even if I am burned out and I don't want to wire a tree or touch a tree, you know, it is still very rewarding to come home and kind of check on everybody and see how they're all doing. And you've got a lot of time invested in some of your pieces too. Um, and some of them have, seen, have shown you like in the shows too. So, I mean, that makes them even more special. Um, so, I mean, how they many have. would you say you got right now? Uh, probably around 200. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's always increasing cause I grow tons of, I'm, I'm growing a lot more stuff in the last few years and I don't like to sell trees. I, I'm still, I'm real weird in, in an artistic sense in that I don't want to sell trees until they're perfect. A, mm. um, or, uh, until I've learned everything I can off of them. So I, I like to be a teacher more than anything. I sell my teaching services. And, um, you know, the trees, I should sell some of them. But in my mind, you really need to see how trees refine. And that's a period of six to seven years. And so yeah. for you to really learn and to see how your techniques are coming to fruition – you can't just like flip a tree in two years and just get it through the first phase of development and do that over and over and over again and never see what happens when a tree gets old. You know, there's a whole second half to bonsai that a lot of people miss. And that's the true refinement stage, the yeah. stage of, of mochi komi, where trees finally get maturity and uh, everything changes then. And it's important to, to learn that because what will happen, and I'll tell you guys a cautionary tale, is I got some trees that were very, very refined, old, imported Japanese trees. And when I got them, I didn't know how to take care of them. Mm. You know, there, there's a specific way to take care of old trees. And, and here's why. Is one of them is a gardenia radicans, all right? A very common plant that's grown here in Florida. I have several here in my uh, backyard. And the ones that I have here in the backyard in Florida, I probably prune six or seven times a year. You know, they grow like crazy. The one that I have that is a refined tree maybe gets pruned once a year. Maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, I might prune I mean, maybe twice a year on a really great year when it's really kicking ass. But it doesn't grow fast. And so what that means is if you make a mistake on that old tree, you're not going to be able to recover it as quickly. So everything changes and you have to, you know, you have to take a lot more care in these older trees uh, than you do in your younger trees. So that's something that you know, the first few years that I was doing this, I sold a lot of my trees. And so I missed out on that opportunity. And so now I'm, I'm kind of, I want to just see how things age, see how the techniques change and really, 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 hopefully when I've been doing this 20 years, I'll be able to really feel confident that I've got a lot of this figured out, you know? Yeah. And you'll look back and be like, look at this collection. Now it's, and I like to think of it as like, Bonsai for the future generation, kind of. Sure. I mean, these are great trees. They're going to be good uh, inspirations for, like you said, for the species or the technique you were trying to execute. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, like, I've, I'm a little younger in it than you are, Mike. Yep. Um, you remember when I had originally reached out to you about that whole situation back in the day? <laughs> for so sure. So you know about my beginnings and stuff. Uh, and I am at that point where I'm starting to get trees that I can finally sit down and separate trees from these are gonna these are gonna sell. These are the nursery trees, but these are trees that I'm invested in, and I'm trying to replicate trees that I really would like to see in my own collection. So yeah, right. I'm getting to that point now. Like you said, I guess I'm in that in between zone. It's like, 
let's make the trees and let's get them to that refinement. But I'm still years out from that too. Yeah, um, that's okay because you know yeah. that's that that's all part of the learning opportunity. All part of the learning process, the learning opportunity. And you know, you like I said, you just watch them grow old, and you'll have these epiphanies. I just did a post the other day about rules. And everybody's always talking about rules, you know, uh, your first branch goes here, your structure should be set like this. And really, I, I don't think they're rules. And I know everybody said that. That's such a, a played out argument. Um, but what I really do see them becoming as I grow more and more trees is horticultural truths, truths that will make your life easier. So imagine if you were growing trees, uh, hundreds of bonsai trees every year, and you're making your structure a certain way and then every two years you're realizing that half your branches die well then you're going to make the assessment that okay i can't structure my trees that way and you're going to teach everybody who comes to your nursery to learn that hey don't put your branches like that or two years from now you're going to have an issue maintaining Mm -hmm. that structure and so that's how i view the rules coming into play is they're not something that you have to live and die by. It's just that if you want to be sure of success and not run into a lot of issues that other people have, then take some of the advice. Otherwise, you are flying blind and you may have success, but you may have unaccounted for issues. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's uh, that part of it just comes from really growing, seeing trees age and having those epiphanies and just saying, oh, this is what they meant when they said that. And that's why they say that. So, yeah. And I think I think I've heard uh, I've heard Eric say it one time. I can't remember the exact quotes of how he would have said it, but it's something about like learning, learning particular techniques could knock years off of development of stuff that that like, you know, otherwise challenging techniques to make, you know, make, to make the tree you want. I mean, there's, right. I can't remember how he said it exactly, but it was, he, he had come down in New Orleans one time and had said it, but like, it's a, le- it's learning and applying those techniques with the, you know, with have, have learning and gotten your hand burned a few right. times, I guess you can say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really it. The more Eric has tried to save me from myself more times than I can count. And I always go forward thinking that I know better, you know, that I'm the younger guy that, Okay, I've got I'm going to figure this out. He just didn't figure it out. And you know what happens nine out of ten times is after a few years, I come crawling back to the techniques that I learned originally (laughs) and saying, you know what? Now I see why he said to do it that way. So it's uh, it's one of those things. Can you again? I'm not saying stifle your techniques and don't explore. I'm just saying that, you know, explore from the safety of horticultural truths. You know, don't try and, and grow branches that are deep, hidden inside the canopy and expect those to thrive because they're just going to get shaded out. You know, you do have to kind of play by the rules. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's part of that's one of the things that like I have a, like a bald cypress workshop this weekend. And it's just like where uh, how do you even begin to tell beginners at this level how to structure their branches and, on their trees and stuff? And it's like. I've told a couple of people recently, it's like, get those branches out in the light that are most important, that are going to be, that are going to be part of your design. And once you get those branches out in the light and you see how they are in proportion and where they are placed on the trunk line, I mean, the tree kind of starts telling you what needs to be done. Um, yeah. And that's something that's hard to explain to someone who's just putting their, hand, their hands in the dirt for the first time. It's like... Well, and you're absolutely right. That's, a, that's something I've spent... 13 years trying to find the perfect way to get people prepared for that argument, for that debate. Uh, And the way lately I've been kind of approaching it is when I get a new student, I tell them right off the bat that the tree you bought, you're presented with two options. You can either leave it the way it is and have more branches because your eye is always going to want more. When you buy a new tree, your eye wants to leave more branches on it. But here's the trade-off, and this is what I tell them is, that if you don't go through and systematically select the best branches for longevity, then your pretty tree might in five years turn into something that's not so pretty. Whereas the guy who took longer to get there, he might take longer to get back to that same silhouette, but he'll have a tree that lasts a lot longer. So it's just a classic tortoise beats the hare. You know, yeah. you, you can sit there and have the pretty tree first and enjoy it at that time, but it will more than likely lead you to issues down the road. 
So yeah. I, I tell them that right off the bat. If they're not willing to, you know, work on the tree and cut the tree and remove branches, then they just need to accept the fact that in four years, five years' time, they may have issues. Yeah, that's really hard to tell people, especially in this, like, a beginner's workshop. You get all these people lined up, um, and, you know, they, they they paid the money for what they think, you know, it's worth, and each mm-hmm. workshop has its, its, its dues. And you get in there, and you're giving your tree, and like you said, it's got lots of it's got all this – what uh, I like to refer back to what Dawn says. Is she said it's all this real estate. You have all yep. this great stuff on this tree, and you're like, all right, it's time to start working, and you lop it down to like three or – you know, not even yep. – sometimes two branches. And they're yep. like, oh, man. So like it's just getting that – like you said, it's difficult to explain that, building that scaffolding from the, the base up. I mean – well, and you also have to always let them know that, that this is this is how I've at least approached it, is that they don't have to do that. There is no, no buddy who's going to force them to do that. Ultimately, I tell beginners that bonsai is ultimately about conveniently enjoying nature. So that's what the whole point of it is. That is the point of bonsai, is to take nature, put it in a pot, and take it home so that you can look at it when you want. That's the whole idea. And yeah. so... If that is all you need out of it, if that's all you want, a tree and a tray, then you're done. You have a bonsai. You don't have to overthink it any more than that. But if you want to play the game, the chess match that the rest of us are playing to build trees of longevity, trees that are going to last longer than you, that are going to be gifted to your kids and their kids, well, you got to play the game. you got to yep. play the horticultural game that all of us are playing. And it is a tough pill to swallow, but... It is the, the conversation that will eventually be had. And here's the here's my cautionary tale about not having that conversation, is that if you if you kind of lead them too long down that road, eventually a year comes down and they start developing an eye and they start seeing flaws. And then they'll start asking questions of why you didn't tell them to do it earlier, why you didn't mention that to them, why you let them pursue a tree for so long with so many flaws. So you have... There is no win-win. You know, you you got to bite the bullet at some point and unfortunately let them know that it is going to be a, a hobby that you're going to have to take away some of your tree to build what you want. So yeah. it, it's tough, man. I've I've wrestled with that dialogue for 13 years. So. Mm. And it's yeah, has man. it gotten has it gotten any easier to break that kind of news to someone? Um, I mean, everybody reacts a little differently. Some people, people who have done research and know what bonsai is, are a little, usually a little more accepting of it. Um, but usually, I still I start usually not as aggressive. I try try engage how they're feeling. I'll cut a few off, and if they're freaking out, then you know we we kind of prune it and send them home. <laughs> but yeah. if they seem like they're engaged and they enjoy the process and they want to learn, then we go all the way. Yeah. So, but. It's a, it is a tough hobby. I, I tell people all the time that, you know, the safest thing to do is to not do anything and just enjoy the tree as it is. Of course. You know? <laughs> I still have trouble chopping stuff off. I'll send mm-hmm. him on a picture. I'm like, hey, check this out. What should I do? He's like, chop it. Chop well, it off. Well, and, you know, when I was when I was younger in bonsai, I was much more cavalier with chopping. Um, I used to chop everything. I, I used to, like, live and die by the rule of six to one. I mean, I would. I'd, I'd just hack everything up. But as I've, I've been maturing in bonsai, I realized that not every tree needs to be six to one taper ratio. Not every tree needs to look the same. Not every tree needs to, you know, uh, I've seen beautiful trees that have almost zero taper in, from Japan. You know, beautiful nabaris, beautiful ramification, and they look like a telephone pole. Yeah. Um, so I think that that respecting the age of the tree. Here's an important lesson that really changed my way of pursuing people's bonsai is there is a point that a tree will pass when it becomes so old that you should not do certain techniques to it. What I mean is that if a branch is 20 years old, you shouldn't cut it off. I mean, unless it is absolutely like has no aesthetic merit whatsoever, a 20 year old branch, you know, you should have cut it off when it was one year old or two years old. And now that it's 20 years old, you need to think of a better solution. You need to pay respect to the age of the tree. That's that's a very hard thing. I've said this before in, in, in a different context. And I've intentionally left, like you said, like things like um, 
like maybe an unruly, strange-looking Nabari on one side or some a branch that goes in an odd direction. And they're like, why aren't you removing this? Why are you framing around this? Why are, why are you trying to insist on it and it being the design? I'm like, sometimes I just have to say, dude, this tree has been in training longer than I've been alive. There has yeah. to be... There has to be merit. There was a, there was a, like you said, like there was a decision made, like years ago, that this, for some reason or another, had had to be on this tree and had to be part of the structure of this tree for so long, and removing that, like you know, it might cause a huge blemish, a scar. Or right. What, exactly. He, That's the other issue: is how are you realistically going to fix it? So, this is the other thing: is when we make our biggest cuts, trees are usually young in development. They're usually full of vigor. They're usually growing strongly. We usually have them in bigger pots. And so once you have a tree that's already that old and it's in an old bonsai pot, how are you going to heal the wound left behind? How are you going to regrow a branch to that thickness? You know, you're opening up a whole bunch of nightmare issues for you to where you may never get the tree back to where it was. Now, I'm not saying don't try to better old material, but there does come a point like if a tree is built and it has beautiful ramification and it has bar branches in the structure of the design, you don't go cutting out the bar branches of a Koku Futen award-winning tree that's 50 years old. You deal. You deal with it. Because you're taking something with an iconic image. I mean, I've seen trees and that trees look the same. Uh, For for example, I found a, a was it a journal of the American Bonsai Society? It's a 1990 issue. And I found a, um, you might have seen this tree before, Mike. It's a root of a rock trident maple. It's got two trunks. It's got an airspace underneath one of the, uh, underneath the rock that it's sitting on. So it like, it has a nice clear defined separation between the, the composition there as far as the, the rock to the container. And it's in a blue tray. Uh, it's kind of more of a shallow. And it's in the Pacific Bonsai Museum collection. And yeah. uh, and I found I found this old issue, and then the uh, the museum actually made a post on Facebook the other day, and they posted a picture of that tree, and I was like, it was like spitting image. It was like the tree was more or less exactly the same mm-hmm. that it was 30 years ago. Uh, yeah. The only thing they had changed was they had obviously had to cut the apex out and redeve- redevelop the crown because it had sure. gotten wonky, but the roots were a little bit thicker. The pot had has insane patina it's a gorgeous pot <laughs> like yeah. it's truly an, an antique um but yeah stuff like that like when it gets to and the word the the japanese word for old again oh it's it, it's mature it's mochikomi so mochikomi i might have to get mochi-komi. that in my vocabulary I feel like so mo- mochikomi would be like okay so a great example is if you have a pine then when it achieves mochikomi will be when all those primary branches also have bark that looks similar to the trunk. Yeah. You know, when you'll feel it. It's it's not even something that can be said because there's no true translation from Japanese to English. It's something that when you're in the presence of a tree with mochikomi, you'll just feel it. You'll say, damn, that's an old tree. You won't have to question. You won't say, how old is this tree? You'll just say, mm-hmm. damn, that tree's old. That's mochikomi. Yeah. And you it's know? sad, but I've only got one tree in my collection that I feel that way about. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> but they're, I don't, they're not. They're not. I common. don't even know. I don't even know. Like I, I think I have one tree as well that I feel like is approaching that level of mochikomi. You know, um, but then when we're compared with Japan and China, it's a totally different story. And that, that's really where we should be looking because that is where we will end up. You know what I'm saying? So our trees will end up being that old one day. Our trees will have those problems one day. Our trees will have mochikomi one day. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of where the the conversation has been recently. It's like with American Boneside, we're in the golden age of it. So we're approaching this. this We are. We've got a lot of material in the works. It's just when I talk to Seth over in Japan, he says bonsai in Japan is not that different than bonsai in the U.S. It's just older. It's just the mm-hmm. material's older, the trees are older, the trees you go and buy at auction are older, just everything's older. So yeah. when I go and buy a shohin, I'm not buying a three-year-old shohin, I'm buying a 20-year-old shohin. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a different environment, and we are approaching that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. yeah Mark, cool. you got anything, man? I haven't heard you speak in a while. Uh, I was really inspired by that demonstration. That you gave at uh, New Orleans Bonsai Society. Thanks, uh, man. I've been, you know, all my trees are smaller now. 
Hell yeah. On a, <clears throat> easy to carry around. Hell so you yeah. You get way faster results. Yes, like, sir. You get a good looking tree quick. You got more, you know, you got more room to play around with the pots, like what looks good in a pot. Yep. Like the showing pots of uh, colors and, you know, they got sceneries on them and stuff. It's yeah, just it's awesome, man. I'm man, more fascinated is... by, the, by the showing now than, you know, the bigger trees. Awesome. And man. a lot of that was to do with, uh, with your demonstration. Like, Thanks, yeah, man. I like that. Well, what happened to me was I wasn't even into Shohin originally, and then I was at the – this was when I first got into bonsai, and Eric got in a ficus, Willow Lee ficus from Puerto Rico. It was hmm. a, a gift that somebody had sent him, one of his friends over there. And this thing was like a true sumo. Like it was like probably as fat at the base as it was tall, but it was perfect. Like it had no scars on it or like very small scars perfect nabari and i remember just holding this thing in my hand and being like how is so much tree in the palm of my hand like this is crazy and so seeing that show him in a really tight pot really was what made me okay i i see what they're talking about i can make sweet trees without having to you know spend tons and tons of money and without having to have a giant yard and uh and that was the beginning man was just seeing one and having somebody show me and so that's what I try to do is just show people the same path that I took and how it changed. It made bonsai more available to me was what it really did. Uh, it was like trees that I could afford, pots I could afford, you know, still still without making crap work, you know, with, well, still working to a high level and making nice trees. So it just spoke to me. Awesome. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard another guy say that shohin trees are the trees of the people. <laughs> yeah that's true man they are they're the ones we we can all get you know we're not all gonna drive the ferrari of bonsai we're not all gonna have the thousand year old juniper or the you know old old pine so you know we got to look at material that we can readily achieve and work with and what most people can readily achieve yeah so, i can yeah, definitely man. say i've been uh i was inspired too of course and i mean it's also working alongside with Dawn Ketting and seeing all of her show and showing pieces, which are exceptional. And I'm just like, got to have more of these in my life for sure. And like you said, it's like now we start creating them, creating them at the nursery and they don't really stick around long enough for me to see them. But nope. that's, that's more <laughs> of what, what people want, you know, like, uh, yeah, they sell faster, ship faster, develop faster. You know, the only issue with Shohin is the horticulture. I mean, it's going to beat you up horticulturally it's gonna but it, that's good if you want to learn the science of bonsai you're gonna learn it a lot faster on shohin than you are bigger trees because they are a very small little test tube and it takes very little in any direction to kind of send them one way so you'll learn quick about the horticultural issues so you know i i, I think everybody should do shohin I, it's my love <laughs> oh yeah my uh, my collection. I got a little. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I got a little setup that's you know specifically for showing in it. Uh, you know, I got my timer set. Water's like three minutes every six hours or whatever. Awesome, man. That's it's cool. Shaded out, so I don't really have to worry about them or like slip them in a bigger pots. Yeah, that's cool. You know, so I that's mean, cool. I mean, that help. That helps a lot. Are you doing the double like potting say, technique that uh, Mike's talked about? Sometimes. Yeah, I do it too. You don't always have to do it. I do it if I need the tree to grow. Like if the tree is not growing very vigorously and I need growth, I'll do it. Um, or if I potted something early, like let's say I threw it in a pot before I was done developing, I'll also double pot it. And uh, in all honesty, I'm even thinking I'm going to start really pursuing just not even growing them out in big pots anymore, just doing double, triple, quadruple potting. Because I watched this guy in Japan who uses colander pots, and he just stacks them and builds shohin that I way. I keep hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's... So, um, so that's going to be the route I think I'm going to go because I've I've messed with it a little bit, and the colanders are just awesome for to double pot. You know, they uh, they're really really useful in that regard. So, I think that'll be the the best way to grow shohin going forward. Just keep double potting. Hmm. But. So uh, I guess we're getting towards the end of this uh, this this little uh, talk here. Uh, I know it's getting dark where you're at, Mike. 
Um, what? You can't like, see me anymore? <laughs> just about, man. And it looks like the sun went down pretty quick. Mm-hmm. The sun mm-hmm. is starting to set a little bit for us over here. But uh, uh, what? when's the next time you'll probably be around town? I think you had talked about... Oh, yeah. Well, um, up in your area, I'm doing yeah. the Texas tour. So I'm going to be all through Baton Rouge and all that in, uh, I think, September, October. Yeah, so you'll be... Uh, you had mentioned maybe stopping by or something. Is that... Is if I can, yeah, man. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. I've never done a tour like this, so I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know the logistics. I guess mm-hmm. I'm flying, and then they're going to be driving me all over. And uh, But I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to stop by if I could. Yeah, man, because uh, we can get you in, maybe uh, maybe get you on a, uh, an actual tree so people can see you working on uh, maybe the, the live stream service we have over here. You know, just just to get the word out, just to get you a little bit more promotion. I know you're already on tour and you're published and all, but I mean, just uh, no, really it's all good, forward, man. Really looking forward to seeing how how your career evolves and changes throughout the uh, the next coming years, though. It's pretty exciting, Thanks, man. Well, you know, it's uh, it's something I hope that I can share with my buds and we can all kind of do good bonsai together. You know, in Japan they have. Uh, bonsai villages where everybody kind of works uh, as a community to the better good you know the greater good of bonsai and i i know people have joked about doing that in the u.s before but that's something that really speaks to me you know yeah i mean that sounds like a dream but maybe one day i mean maybe it, it's growing fast enough over here there's a possibility maybe yeah we'll we'll have the uh weigert's bonsai village <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's. I mean, y'all have amassed enough. I wouldn't doubt if it was coming soon. Or hey, or we can do the Underhill Bonsai Village. Whatever you want to do. No nah, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I won't be in charge. I just want to be a worker bee. <laughs> you just want to be a resident, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool, man. But uh, yeah, appreciate you sitting uh sitting down. You know, taking the time to talk to us, man. I know we're we're all busy here. Um, like I told you, I got classes lined up here over at the nursery for me. I don't know if it's gotten serious for you as far as the workload, but, um, yeah, we actually, we canceled classes at the nursery. It's, um, we, unfortunately we're so busy. We can't offer classes anymore. They're so busy with um, shipping and I'm busy with private work, you know? So we're, uh, right. Yeah. What a bad thing to be, (laughs) to be (laughs) with. We're just well, being too successful. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Well, I mean, like you said, you rather teach than squirt out the, you know, the little little trees here. And every once every once in a while, you put your hands on a really refined uh, tree to really work on with somebody. Yeah, and get somebody and, the next level, man. And like I said, one day I think when my work is there and I when I feel confident in it, uh, then I'll sell it. I'll start selling stuff and hopefully get what I think it's worth. But. Right now, I just, you know, I wouldn't want to put my name on something that's not me personally. You know, I just am real weird about selling my trees. So, yeah, I got you, man. Well, I really appreciate it. Like I said, um, just in case you guys weren't paying attention to this podcast, for the listeners out there, uh, that was Mike Lane. He's not gone yet. He's still there. But uh, this Mike Lane from Fort Myers, Florida. you have any uh, parting words or anything you'd like to say to listeners? Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, thanks for all your support. I appreciate everybody who follows my work. And uh, and for anybody interested in bonsai, you know, just uh, keep at it. You know, if you have a, a couple of times where things don't work out in your favor, just seriously stick with it because it does get way, way better. So just stay strong and bonsai on. <laughs> there you go. Stay strong, bonsai. I, I like, like that. that. Let's That's put that on a T-shirt. Too trademarked, well. yeah, yeah. Uh, we're already trying to make a shirt that says uh, "Art and Relax." That's bonsai with Ben Oki's sing from the Karate yeah. Kid. Uh, yeah, you sure. that? We had no. uh, we had you got to send him that link, Mark, because he sent it to me. It blew my mind. It's Ben Oki in his old garden, like talking about his his personal collection and old trees. And he's like, without John Naka, there would there would be no Ben Oki. Like yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> classic. But uh, that's cool. yeah, man. Um, and uh, if people want to follow you, what's the best way uh, just to just to get your um, promotion out there a little bit? Follow me on Instagram as uh, I'm Mike Lane Shohin Studios, and uh, and you can follow me on Facebook as just Mike Lane. Um, you know, I share, I try to share my work as well as uh, kind of do little lessons on there and kind of share the progress of my own trees. So 
Awesome. Yeah, you got some really great content on there, man. I really enjoy going through, and I can actually go back and back catalog some of your trees and your progressions. It's great. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's what I'm hoping for is to have a, a, you know, collection of data to one day be able to go back on and have everything where I need it. Gotcha. Yeah, man. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll check in with you later on. But, uh, yeah, stay in touch. Don't be a stranger. Um, You got it, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and uh, this was this was the uh, Boneside Southeast podcast. I'm gonna start closing it by saying this: always rotate your trees. Please rotate your trees. We don't want one-dimensional flat trees that have foliage on one side. You guys have a lovely evening, and thank you, Mike. We'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. All right, man. Later, you dude. See you. All right, see you guys.